Sweet. I'm going to get straight into the message, so why don't we watch clip number one? Thanks, Amber. I'll be a busy crop dusting in the Super Cub rest of summer, so you can take the plane up, I guess, when you please. Still six bucks an hour. I'll consider it less than time. Pilot never stops acquiring knowledge. You'll make mistakes. Everyone does. Just learn from them. Yes, sir. And never forget, no matter what's happening, to fly the airplane. Absolutely, sir. Oh, one other thing. And this is important. Sir? You can go ahead and smile. All right. Sweet. So if you don't know what movie that is, we today is on Sully. It's an amazing story about Captain Chelsea Sullenberger, a.k.a. Sully. And on January 15th, 2009, um, following a total engine failure after literally six minutes after takeoff, Captain Chelsea Sullenberger and his crew managed to successfully land their plane in New York's Hudson River. Um, it's described as the most... Uh, all 155 passengers and crew members survived, and it's the most successful ditching in all of aviation history. So it's a pretty outstanding story. Um, and this message is all about acquiring knowledge I don't know if you heard in the clip, but there was this one part where he said, a pilot's job is to always acquire knowledge. And I think we expect this story to kind of be like a miracle story. Like when you think of like, oh, at the movies, we're going to try to link this to Jesus. The pilot got down on his knees and he was like, Jesus, save this plane. And then Jesus, like, like a B-movie moment, you know, in the B-movie when the plane's about to crash and all the bees like fly up and carry the plane and land it. We're like, oh, it's going to be like that. But that's not what happened at all. Sully just pulled on his knowledge that he acquired and was able to do the job. So why don't we watch clip number two? Thanks, Amber. Uh, for the record, we had an aircraft systems team in this investigation, also aircraft structures, MRT, aircraft performance, ATC, wildlife factors, survival factors, and emergency response. Today, we begin with our operation and human performance investigation on the crash of U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Water landing. Captain? This was not a crash, and it wasn't a ditching. We knew what we were trying to execute here. It was not a, it's not a crash. It was a forced water landing. Why didn't you attempt to return to LaGuardia? There simply was not enough altitude. The Hudson was the only place that was long enough and smooth enough and wide enough to even attempt to land the airplane safely. Air traffic testified that you stated you were returning to LaGuardia, but you did not. As I began the left turn, I realized I couldn't make it back, and it would have eliminated all the other options. Returning to LaGuardia would have been a mistake. Okay, well, let's get into how you calculated all those parameters. There was no time for calculating. I had to rely on my experience of managing the altitude and speed of thousands of flights over four decades. You're saying you didn't do anything? I eyeballed it. You eyeballed it? Yes. The best chance those passengers had was on that river. And I'd bet my life on it. In fact, I did. And I would do it again. This is so surreal. I can't 
guess I'm having a little trouble separating reality from whatever the hell this is. Yeah. This is two men freezing their asses off. Sully. Don't worry, you did a great thing. It's gonna be remembered for a very long time. Here's the funny thing. I've delivered a million passengers over 40 years in the air, but in the end, I'm gonna be judged on 208 seconds. Come on, tomorrow's gonna be a good day. Computer sims will prove you were right. We can all put our wings back on. You wanna run? Yeah, let's run. Sully's such a gangster, to be honest. Like, he was just like in that meeting, they're like, you did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. And he's like, you know what? Here's my 40 years of experience. I know better than you. <laughs> um, but he's just so gangster about it. He's like, here's the facts. He doesn't have to do the whole argument of like, this is why I'm smarter. He's like, here's the facts. Anyway, sorry. I just get distracted by how gangster he is sometimes. Um, but I think that there was that really cool phrase in that second part of that clip where he says, um, I've been flying, I've delivered millions of passengers, I've been flying for over 40 years, and I'm going to be judged on 208 seconds. That's pretty like, whoo, like, imagine you do your job like perfectly well, like you're a barista or something, you're like the world's best barista, and then they're like, this one cup of coffee is what you're gonna be judged for for the rest of your life, like, but then you take his story of like him actually delivering the lives of human beings on a big metal ship that weighs I don't know how much. It's insane. Um, anyway, so like I said, having flied all of his life for a combined 42 years, including training in the military, including that first clip of him just being a crop duster with the plane, all of that, he flew for US Airways for 30 of those 42 years. And there's this amazing quote where he reflects and he says, it was like all my past life had been but preparation for this hour and this trial. There's another quote that I love from him where speaking with the news anchor, Katie Couric, he says, one way of looking at this might be that for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15th, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very large withdrawal making small, regular deposits so that the balance was sufficient enough to make a very large withdrawal. And I was thinking about this quote, and I was like, that's so amazing. Like, this guy is a genius. Um, and I start to think about biblical principles, and it brings me to this Old Testament um, principle and this idea of the storehouse. Um, Perhaps the most popular story talking about the storehouse, um, or I guess displaying that idea, is when uh, Joseph had been in prison. He gets called to interpret Pharaoh's dream, where Pharaoh, he tells Pharaoh, listen, you're going to be in a famine for seven years. Here's what I suggest you do. I think you should take from all the people now, like a little tax, and put it in a storehouse, so that when we enter those years of famine, we have enough so that everyone survives. We have enough so that they can make large withdrawals. It's a theme that is talked about and covered in a few other verses, um, and often we equate this principle to tithing and talking about that, but I don't think it's just, um, in the original context of these verses, of course it is talking about tithing, but I think that this is a principle for life, not just a principle for our finances. Um, 
So don't freak out, I'm not about to start talking about tithing <laughs> during this at the movie series about a plane crash. I think that would be really out of context and weird. Um, but yeah, like I said, the biblical, store, uh, biblical principles of the storehouse verses should mean more than just our tithe, but our way of life. So here's a few of them. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Deuteronomy 28.12 says, The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens to give rain to your land in its season, and to bless every work of your hand. And you will lend to many nations, but not borrow. Job 38.22-23 says, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? This is a biblical principle that we should be applying to our lives. How are you making small regular deposits in your life? Where are you making those small regular deposits in your life? Are you making deposits that matter? You're going somewhere that needs you to be able to integrate your faith well into it and with good thought. Are you doing that? Have you got an emotional and spiritual storehouse for when times of trouble come? If you're confused about any of these questions or upset maybe with the answers that you have to these questions, then can I just ask, how can God bless your storehouse if you don't have one? We need to be making deposits into our storehouse to get through the famine. We need to be making deposits to get through trials. And the reason why I picked this movie and the reason why I think it's so good is that the key to this is knowledge. We have to deposit in our knowledge. The reason why Sully and others believe that he had the most successful ditching in all aviation history is because he had the knowledge and the experience to back it up. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Hosea 4.6, I love this, the comparison of the two scriptures of NIV and NLT, because NIV, it says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. But the New Living Translation says, My people are destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge, and my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. God's equating it to the same thing. We will be destroyed if we don't know him. We will be destroyed if we don't have this knowledge of who he is. Um, John G. Stackhouse, he's an award-winning theologian. When I was doing Bible college, they would just be like, here's what Stackhouse says, here's what Stackhouse says, like all the flipping time. And I'm like, I never want to hear his name again. But here's a really great quote from him. And he, um, yeah, he's a journalist as well as a researcher and a theologian. And he says, in a wide-ranging study of a number of American denominations, the Search Institute of Minneapolis determined that the most important factor in producing a mature well-balanced and well-integrated faith was not excellent preaching, was not worship, was not small group fellowship, 
or anything else but adult Christian education. A sermon and a home Bible study each week cannot possibly suffice. You can't expect to be counterformed in a couple of weeks when there's so much formation, in a couple of hours, I mean, then when there's so much formation happening the other way throughout our week. The team on a Sunday cannot do in 90 minutes everything that needs to be done for you and your faith. The team on a Wednesday cannot do everything in 90 minutes that your young person needs to be well-formed in their faith. The team out the back cannot do everything in 90 minutes to help your kids be well-integrated into their faith. It's just not going to happen. It's our own job and our own responsibility to take on. We have to take care of our own spiritual work. It's ours. It's for us. It's our relationship. It's for us. And God takes this so, 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 so seriously. In probably one of the most savage passages of the Bible I've ever read, um, he kind of lays it all out on just how incredibly important it is that we take responsibility for our own spiritual growth and our own formation. In Proverbs 6, 6 to 11, with the message it says, You lazy fool. What a great way to start a passage. You're like, I feel like so uplifted today. You lazy fool. Look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer, it stores up food. At harvest, it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Ready? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life, poverty, your permanent house guest. Ouch. (laughs) Is that not like a bruised ego, like real hard? Like God's just like, here's an uppercut right to the chin. And you're just like, oh my, (laughs) pretty dazed, pretty out of it. So I like to, normally I love when the Bible gets savage, but I've made it a little bit more softer, um, but not that soft. So here's what I think in my version. It's basically saying this. Listen and look around. I'm pointing out a pattern of life. Look at the ants. Look at this. This is a pattern of life. Just as the animals store up physical food for the physical winter, you must store up spiritual food for the spiritual winter. Make this a habit that you do without even thinking. As no one tells the animals to do this either. When you neglect your future, you will walk in deficit but those that invest in their future, they'll walk in surplus. This is your responsibility for you to do. Stop being lazy. The time is now. Sully took on the responsibility of his own education, gaining of knowledge. In that thing before, he said that he read the cease flight logs. He looked at all these things. He was, he was trying to gain as much knowledge so that the safety of the passengers was the utmost priority, that he would be able to encounter any big trial, any big obstacle and overcome it because he had the knowledge to back it up. This is what made him capable when his trial came, those small, regular deposits of knowledge. And we are called to invest in our own back of knowledge. Jeremiah 18, 1-4 says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, 
Go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Pastor Craig talked about in our Who Do You Think You Are series that we are clay, that God is the potter and we are the clay. And we're the clay on God's potter's wheel. So we're being constantly formed and reformed into the image of what he wants. And in our faith, we're constantly formed and reformed. We need to know our story and we need to keep remembering it. And we need to be encouraging one another with it. That's why we're here today. We need to know our identity. And as cheesy as it is, like we need to know who we are and whose we are. It's a cheesy saying, but it's so, so true. The input that we have from other sources versus what's forming them, forming us in the faith actually has impossible odds when we just leave it to a Sunday. It's not going to happen. Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Are you investing in your bank of knowledge. Here are a few resources that I think are really, really great that you should be using to invest in your knowledge. Varying price points. If you want to start off small, if you want to start off big, whatever it is. First thing is, there's two free resources. First one is Bible Hub. I could spend, I don't know, like hours on Bible Hub where I'll just go on there look up a verse, and then I'm like, oh, this is the root word. Oh, this is connected to this. Oh, fun. Like, you know, if you love those people that are like, I love connecting the dots, things like that. So I'll look up verses. It'll tell you the original Greek for it. It'll show you other comparisons to other bits of the Bible. So you're not like, what the heck does this verse mean? They're like, well, if you look at all these verses, here's the principle behind it. And you're like, easy, love that. If you're not someone that likes that sort of researchy thing, then I recommend the Bible Project just literally changed my life one time when I was like, I don't understand this book of the Bible I'm reading. Because who knows that the prophets are so hard. I find the prophets so hard. I'm like, you're talking about a lion and then this. And then I'm like, oh, it's a real lion. It's the Old Testament. And it's like, oh, no, it's not. But this time, in the next verse, it's a real eagle. And then I'm just like, oh, I'm so confused. And so I'll watch a Bible project video. And then they'll just like explain it in like the most basic terms with really cute little drawings. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so entertained. And then I'm learning at the same time. So maybe watch uh, some Bible project videos they do stuff on the books of the Bible, but they also do stuff on biblical principles, which are really cool. And then other, another two things is that you can pay to do Theos U. That's like, talk to Trin about it. She'll just go on and on and on and on about how amazing she loves it. Um, and they have these little mini lectures here. But if you're someone that's like, I want to dive really deep, a paid option is on the Vin Master lectures. We did a few of those when I was in Bible college. And it's just like the top award-winning theologians just being like, here's my opinion after doing 40 years of research on this one thing. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so deep. But then it's only like an hour and he explains everything he's learned in 40 years in an hour. And you're like, I'm so smart. Um, but yeah, those are great things. Um, but maybe all of this seems like, ooh, gross, I don't want to do this. Here's another idea that I love doing. When we were doing the youth team, we just used to have like a book club moment and we'd just all pick a book and read a book together and then we'd just talk about it. Like every two, three weeks we'd get together and we'd be like, okay, I've read this chapter, this chapter, and this chapter. What do you think? And share it. So I just had a list of some book recommendations and some author recommendations up there of varying different things. Um, 
yeah, but I've got some real easy ones up there, like Insect in the Buffalo is, just teaches you how to read the Bible as a full story. It's really cool. Not a fan, Friend of Sinners are all cool books about how we can outreach and be pushing into our faith better. And then the Good and Beautiful God series. Oh, I spelled it wrong. That's so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> that typo. Oh, ignore it. Um, the Good and Beautiful God series is really great. I know um, Anna's read it, Sarah's read it, and then it changes your life, Like, and it does little challenges at the end of each book, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to do this. This is going to be so easy. And then you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this has changed my life, and it pushes you into spiritual disciplines, things like that. It's really, it's really, really cool. So yeah, there's just some stuff. I've always talked to me, or talk to some of the leadership team that have all been reading, all been studying and stuff. We'll all have ideas. But yeah, the book club idea is one of my favorite things we did as a youth team. It helped us form it. It's cool because they pull out. I thought this part of the book was really cool. And I'm like, I fully missed that. But that is really cool. I thought this part of the book was really cool. And then they're like, oh, I missed that too. And it's really fun and it's really good. And you're keeping each other accountable and you're pushing into study. Anyways, there we go. That's my little thing. So I'm pushing, invest in your bank of knowledge. Invest in your bank of knowledge. Invest in your bank of knowledge. That's really hard to say fast. Um, But why? Why do we need to invest our bank of knowledge? Or maybe even you're someone that's like, what's in it for me if I invest in my bank of knowledge? What benefits can I receive? And the thing I can tell you is that when we make deposits in our storehouse of knowledge, it also builds up two important storehouses that we should have. The first one is our storehouse of hope, and the second one is our storehouse of character. Our bank of knowledge is heavily, heavily connected to both our bank of hope and our bank of character. Depositing into our knowledge of God feeds our hope in God, and now it builds the character of God within us. If we could play clip three, Amber, that would be great. Not meaning to bother, but I have to say, it is an honor having you today. Thank you. What has it been this year so far? Bernie Madoff, two wars without end, many million new people with no work, and that's just the first two weeks of January. Friday's headline? This is beautiful. <laughs> hey, Mike, how about we had the driver as a character witness? Thank you, Carl. Yeah, thank you, Captain. You know, it's been a while since New York had news this good, especially with an airplane in it. I'll see you later, Solim. keep repeating is timing, the perfect timing of the NYPD scuba units and of the ferry boat captains, and of course, the inexplicably precise timing of the pilot, Captain Sully Sullenberger, who with almost no time became a man for all time. This is Christine Johnson reporting live from the Hudson River. There's some... moments in that movie that I actually got quite emotional and one of those was the one at the, um, those two bits at the start where it talks about 
um, this guy's talking about how terrible the year 2009 had been. And the start of those two weeks, he's saying, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened. But this headline, it's beautiful. Or even the rewriting almost of a story that um, the next clip brings up where you think of New York and you think of an airplane and you think of the tragedy that is 9-11. But this is almost like a rewriting of a story, a bringing of hope again. And I think it's really, really, really beautiful. Um, Sully's knowledge that he accumulated and remembering that knowledge brought hope. Sully's knowledge was a delay is better than a disaster. He had that in his wallet. That's something, that's a word that sticks with him. Sully's hope is almost reiterated by that um, anchor where she says, with almost no time, he became a man for all time. He brought hope back to a city of New York. Sully's success, which is attributed to his knowledge, brought hope to others. So when we invest in our bank of knowledge, we have a bank of hope that we can lend out of. Romans 15.13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will overflow with hope. In our current age, I think that we can often think, that the world's knowledge is all at the tip of our fingers, like, oh, we can find everything that we need, like knowledge, 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 like I can literally just Google a whole bunch of stuff and relevant information. I guess like trying to fight misinformation is probably the next hardest thing, but the gaining of information is actually a really easy thing, but I think a lot of us, because of this development in our technology and development in our world, can become a bit of a cynic when it comes to knowledge and hope. We can think that um, knowledge is superior to hope sometimes. When we know, then we don't have to be hopeful anymore. We can think that um, it's something sentimental to hold on to hope, but knowledge, knowing, is the thing that's better. Um, And hope is kind of for the weak optimists of the world, maybe even if we're a deeper cynicism, if we have a deeper cynicism where we believe they can't face the facts like us realists that this is going badly and this is going badly and this is going badly and we look at this and we look at this and we look at this. Um, The world's falling apart. So if they just knew the facts, then they wouldn't be so fearful. They wouldn't need that hope because they could accept us like us realists. But really, the optimists have the right idea. They have the surplus of hope inside of them that despite the situation that they're looking at, they can look up, they can look joyful, they can look for the good things. We fall into this trap of believing that knowledge and hope are opposites, but really, they help each other out. St. Alsum, who's a really famous early church leader, once said, For I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order to understand. For this also I believe, that unless I believe, I shall not understand. Basically, we hope in order that we may know, and we know in order that we may hope. Ephesians 1, 16 to 18 says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. 
the Apostle Paul prayed that the Ephesian church and the Ephesian Christians would have the knowledge of the hope that is their saviour, that they would have the knowledge of the hope to which they record. For Paul's hope, it was based in his faith in Christ, as Jesus, um, in, yeah, God as his Lord as saviour. The connection between knowing and hoping isn't either or, it's both and. Jesus brings hope and knowledge together. He is the ground of our hope and the fulfilment of our knowing. Knowledge of the source of hope is actually what provides the hope. And it provides stability in the highs and lows of our life. If we could play clip four, Amber, that would be cool. Who's hurt and how badly? And I need it now. 155. That's my number. That's passengers and crew. Okay. How about you? I'll answer that question when we counted 155. All right. Okay. Captain, Captain, I'm here to escort you to meet with Mayor Bloomberg and Police Commissioner Raymond Kelly. The mayor wants to say hello. We'll have to come down here. We're still working. Sully, I can keep assembling a count. Jeff. Jeff, I need a count. We've got to have a count. There's no way to get a real count out here, Sully. So, Jeff's right. Let's get you in some dry clothes before you freeze. Captain, what if the mayor and Chief Kelly come down here to meet with you? Yeah, because there was a domestic flight. Yeah, we got no manifest. We're going to have to track the passenger information down one by one. Okay, can we help? Yeah, I'm going to call Sean Care. We're going to get you count. But, Sully, listen, you've done enough. Let me take it from you. What is my pulse rate? It's 110. My normal resting is 55, 110. It's not good. You're right. 110 is not good. After what you just went through, 110 is extraordinary. How is Doreen? Uh, fairly severe laceration, but we'll keep her a day or two to stem the infection. But she'll be okay. She'll have a scar and a hell of a story to tell. Although no one will believe her. Hell, I'm standing here with you right now, and I don't believe it. He landed a plane on the Hudson, not a scratch. Arnie. Well, the union is pulling out all the big guns today, huh? Talk to Dan Bruce, silly. Got a count? 155. 155. It's official. 155. 155. Uh, 155. Thank you, Wayne. What did you think? Hearing the CDI just now. I'll tell you what I think. I'm just so damn proud. And you, you were right there. Through all that distraction, with so much at stake. We did this together. We were a team. Thanks, Sully. We did our job. We did our job. Sully's first priority the whole time was the safety of the passengers that he was responsible for. They trusted in his knowledge and they had hoped that he was going to land that plane. They placed their hope in his hands and he wouldn't rest until he knew that he had kept this promise of flying his passengers safely. This is a man of great character. Not only was his knowledge great 
and the hope that he provided great, but he was a man of great character. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to full and complete standard of Christ. Each of these roles that are mentioned in the early church, each of these responsibilities, they all carry the main responsibility of transferring of knowledge. Whether it's through prophecies, whether it's through sermons, whether it's through literal word of knowledge, whether it's through teaching, their duty is to equip and to build the church through a sound explanation of God's word, creating unity and faith and a knowledge and becoming mature. Our maturity in Christ is something that is apparent in our interactions with one another. Um, and I believe that immature Christians can come about from one of two things. The first thing is they weren't properly taught. The second thing is there's no intentional effort to internalize the knowledge and understanding of God that they have received. And in the case of A, I believe God does hold those teachers accountable. It's got a bunch of warnings and a bunch of different verses saying if you teach falsely, you will be judged things like that, it's really important that we receive, that teachers teach correctly. But also, God says that we have a responsibility to find that out for ourselves. It's not just up to us to listen and be like, that is perfectly fine and perfectly good. I fully think that what they said is 100% correct, and I'm going to directly apply it to my life. No, that's not what we're up here for. That's not what the ministry team is here for, to just tell you, and then you go, okay, cool, and walk off about your day and fully apply it. It's our responsibility to go through and investigate that and make sure that it's correct. Good teaching comes from Scripture and should lead us back to Scripture, and Christian maturity begins with how we handle the Word of God. The more thorough you are, the higher the impact the promises that God gives us is going to make in your life and is going to have in your character. We need to work on our character because that's the presence of God that we carry with us. That's how we carry it. We need to allow God to shape the vessel that his spirit is being carried in. Um, N.T. Wright, who's a really great author, you should read his books, and his After You Believe book, he says, The virtues matter. They matter deeply. When the great door of human nature swings open to reveal its truest secrets, these are the hinges on which it turns. But these character strengths don't happen all in a rush. You have to work on them. Character is a slowly forming thing. This person has to choose again and again to develop the moral muscles and skills which will shape and form the fully flourishing character. Working on our character is hard. It's really tough. It's something we have to do all the time. And when we study and when we pray, things like that, we have to keep our character in check as we do those things as well so that we have the fruit that bears the resemblance of the knowledge that we've gained. So take time on it, especially with character flaws that can make you fall easily into temptation. Those are the character flaws that I would maybe tackle first if I were you. Um, 
but yeah, it's so, so important. Anyways, we're going to watch our final clip, and then if I could get someone to come play behind me for the end, that would be great. Clip five, please. Andy. I'd like to add something on a personal note. I can say with absolute confidence that after speaking with the rest of the flight crew, with bird experts, aviation engineers, after running through every scenario, after interviewing each player, there is still an X in this result. And it's you, Captain Sullenberger. Remove you from the equation and the math just fails. I disagree. It wasn't just me, it was all of us. This is Jeff and Donna and Sheila and Doreen and all of the passengers, the rescue workers, the air traffic control, the ferry boat crews and the scuba cops. We all did it. We survived. He shows off his character again because they're all like, all these experts, this whole massive board, they're just like, it's literally you. You're the reason why this worked. You're the reason why all these people survived. The knowledge that you've gained, the hope that you've brought, all of this, it's all attributed to you, Sully. And he turns around again and he says, no, it was the team. It was the unity that we created through the knowledge that I've gained. It was the unity that we created because of the hope that I carried. It was the unity that we created because we are all good people of great character. Sully won't believe he was the X Factor. He won't believe that he was the good luck. His knowledge and experience is what he believes is the unity factor, the X Factor. And I think when we think about our Christian walk, like, oh, like all these things working together, we, we need to have knowledge, we need to have hope, we need to have character. How do all these things, I guess, contribute to have that X factor? And I truly do believe that that X factor is the blessings of God that we receive. God's blessing comes when we invest in our knowledge, when we invest in our hope, and we invest in our character. In that verse that I said at the beginning, it talks about how God uses his storehouse to bless our storehouses. When we have a storehouse, he will bless it. When we invest, God invests. It's like Kiwi Saver, <laughs> you know? When we invest a little bit in it, um, God pays a little bit in it too. It's not lucky payments. It's not interest payments, whatever. It's God's blessing. God uses his storehouse to bless our storehouse so that we may never run dry and we may never be in deficit. We have to choose to invest. We have to choose to be formed and reformed again. We have to choose renewal. We have to choose. We have to choose. We have to choose. It is a choice. Knowledge is the means to a fruitful life. And in everything else, you can't live beyond your means. It's just a fact. The bank won't let you, a bunch of it, like your body won't let you if you try to push itself. It just, the nature of life, we can't live beyond our means. And so the key to a fruitful life is that we're investing, we're living in surplus, we're not living in deficit. You can't show what you haven't learned, you can't show the knowledge you haven't gained, you can't show the hope that you have, you can't show the character that you have if you're not investing in it. Sooner or later, You'll fall or break or the mask will fall off and reveal who you truly are if you haven't invested in the knowledge, if you haven't invested in your hope and if you haven't invested in your character. We have to grow closer to God. 
We have to grow in our knowledge of him and our relationship with him. We have to study his word. We have to worship his name. We have to pray to him. We have to approach him with the same passion and intensity that you do when you face a deadline at work, when you face um, important things in your life where you get excited about it. That's the same sort of passion that your most up moments is what we need to be carrying into our time with God. Our most down moments is what we need to be carrying into our life with God because he's the one that's going to stabilize those high highs and those low lows. The reward for our diligence in this is fruitfulness and God's blessing on that fruit. He will reward it. He appreciates our diligence. And when others see your fruit and see how full your storehouse is, they will come. They will ask, how did your storehouse get so full? How are you always giving and how are you always outputting? And we'll have the answer. Fruitfulness and filled storehouses will attract those that are hungry and those that are poor and those that want a change in their own lives. And it all begins with what we know and how we integrate it into our everyday lives. So I just want to spend the time of prayer with everyone. So if you all want to close your eyes, bow your heads. Um, maybe this is something that you've been struggling with. You know that you need to um, build up in your knowledge. You know that you need to invest more in your relationship with God. Or maybe even you feel like your storehouse at the moment is so incredibly low that you're living in deficit, that you're running dry. Um, and you see other people's storehouses and they're so full and you're wondering, how do I get me some of that? Um, I just want to spend this time praying for you. So if you're someone that would love to experience the blessing of a storehouse or even the um, encouragement to go after that, why don't you raise your hand and I'll pray with you. Awesome, I see that hand, you can put it down. I see those hands, you can put it down. I see that hand, you can put it down. Is there anybody else that would love a prayer, um, to receive a prayer of blessing on their storehouse this morning? I see that hand, you can put it down. Awesome. I see that hand as well. Anybody else? Awesome. God, I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you that you're a God that forms us and reforms us over again and again. And I pray that this wouldn't be a task or this wouldn't be a feeling that fills us with dread, God, but we would know that in this pursuit we are going closer to you, Father. And I just pray for every single person here that may be running dry, that may be running low, that their fruit may not look the best. God, that they would just receive an input of blessing right now, Father, that from the head to their toes, they would just feel your presence with them right now, that um, they would know that the fruit is coming, Father, that they feel may feel like they've been investing for a while and they can't see anything coming out of it, Father, but that in the next week, the next month, till the end of the year, Father, that they would start to see the fruit, that they wouldn't be dry anymore, that they would see rivers in their wastelands, Father, that they would just feel the sense of your blessing, God. I also pray for everybody here in this room, that as they pursue in their knowledge of you, as they invest in it, God, that they would be excited by your word, they would be excited to study, they would be excited to gain this knowledge, Father, and that they would be testaments out in the community of people full of hope and people of good character because of the knowledge that they've gained from you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet. That's me done.